And what we've also seen is that the AI can find more than a human is actually able to identify. We've had tests with one customer in Europe. They gave us this test set and told us, see what you can find. And we actually ended up finding 230% of their sort of their result because we find things that they had overlooked. So our AI is there to, like you said, Derek, to augment what the inspector does, what the engineer does. And what we like to say is we give her superpowers because she will be able to do her job so much faster using the AI than what she would have done elsewise. So, and it's also a feedback loop because when they are working with our AI, they say, yes, that's right, that's right. No, that's not a problem. This is right. We feed that back into the AI and correct the AI and then it improves. So that's what we call collaborative AI, where we work together with the engineers that do the inspection and we improve the AI continuously by working with them. Welcome to the Data Bench Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's discussion. As always, wishing you and your families the best of health, safety, and happiness as we progress through this very rocky start of 2021. Some quick updates for you before we begin the show. I would like to read a quick review from a new listener that came over on December 19th on Apple Podcasts. The name on the review was from Pathros K, who wrote, Great depth of knowledge and range of information covered here. Loved the episode on sales, wrote down the names of books, just joined the workforce right out of college, and this has been quite helpful navigating my career so far. Pathros, thank you so much for your comment. Creating this podcast and sharing incredible conversations with guests, with this audience is by far the most special project I've ever undertaken. And these these comments just really energize me to continue and to continue to just share and, and have these amazing discussions. So for folks who would love to contribute a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, I will read your review here and we can share in a moment of gratitude and contribution as comments are released into this community. In that same vein, in the same vein of, of sharing amazing conversations, I hope you folks are ready for this update. A conversation I've been waiting for quite some time. The Last Mile is a nonprofit breaking the mass incarceration cycle by combating recidivism through in person education and post release mentorship focused on coding and software engineering. So, for those pondering what recidivism means, it's the tendency for a convicted criminal to reoffend. The Last Mile's returned citizen alumni maintain 0% recidivism. Incredible impact here by this organization on the the justice impact and the formerly incarcerated. Chris Redlitz, the co-founder of the organization, and Jason Jones, remote instruction manager and alumni of the program, will both be joining the Data Binge podcast to talk through the importance of solving challenges facing the formerly incarcerated and system-impacted people in our country and beyond. You can join the live podcast discussion via LinkedIn Live by searching for the Data Binge podcast in the LinkedIn search bar or by accessing the link in the show notes that we'll provide you in this episode. 
And now for today's discussion. Today's episode is a Simply Tech live interview featuring my co-host Ali Mazahari and our special guest, Eric Asberg. Eric is the chief technology officer of eSmart Systems, an applied AI solution that is transforming the way the world's leading energy providers inspect and maintain critical infrastructure. If you are unfamiliar with this type of technology, eSmart's grid systems solution injects high-resolution drone and helicopter video footage into their AI application. It helps detect structural issues in cables, towers, and other energy-based infrastructure to prevent catastrophic failures and events. So imagine when vegetation encroaches on infrastructure or there's issues with cabling or anything you can imagine in the form of energy assets out in the field that are being impacted by the environment, maintenance, et cetera. For those of you who live in California and are familiar with wildfires, I think you have some empathy for why this is a a pretty important problem to solve. Additionally, eSmart is focused on the future of the smart grid as both utilities and energy consumers seek to optimize energy investments, reduce energy consumption, and most importantly, focused on cutting climate emissions. Eric is our first international guest, joining us from Halden, Norway, and brings with him a wonderful collection of experiences in his 20-year career in tech and energy. In parallel to Eric's CTO leadership at eSmart, he was also nominated to be a Microsoft Regional Director, a two-year program reserved by nomination only, recognizing the world's top technology visionaries. So just a lot of brain power around technology today. We're very excited to talk to Eric throughout the episode, focusing on opportunities and capabilities available from the collaborative work between humans and machines. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening. And now we bring you Eric Asberg. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning, depending on where you're watching today's show. I'm super excited to kick off another episode of Simply Tech Live with my co-host, Derek Russell. Derek, I believe this is going to be our last session in the year of 2020 and what kind of year we passed. So we started off, we were covering some things in AI and data. We did some amazing experiments in the Microsoft Technology Center in Irvine. And then we covered some COVID technologies that Microsoft was rolling out. And then we had a pretty awesome discussion last time with our leadership, Gina Lofton. And that was fun. And I think, you know, doing this show with you and our awesome guests, including our special guest today, was one of the few good things that happened in 2020 with all the, the hardship and dealing with COVID and everything that happened in the past year. So definitely looking forward to have a better 2021 year ahead of us. So tell us a little bit about our guest today. Eric Asberg is the CTO, Chief Technology Officer of eSmart. It's a startup. The U.S. location is is in Austin, and they are located in Norway. He's calling in from Norway today, and we crossed paths with them because we were looking to help. We're in Southern California, me and you, Ali, and Southern California knows what wildfires are. So does California at large. And we were helping some of the big, Microsoft was helping some of the biggest utilities in the state really figure out how to get ahead and predictively understand and stop the spread of wildfire from maintenance issues with some of their power right. lines and infrastructure. And that's how I met eSmart. That's how I met Eric and the rest of his team. 
And ever since we met, I mean, some of their technology is absolutely amazing. And it's not just relevant for utilities. It's also relevant for infrastructure at large. Ali, some of the, the customers that we have in the technology center virtually now are all trying to figure out how do we use AI so that we don't need humans to go inspect things that are dangerous or that really need you know, very, very, very high three, four nines of accuracy to understand what's happening to some of this equipment. And again, I mean, as you mentioned, me living in Irvine and the fire incident that we had in the past couple of weeks, it hit home. So definitely seeing companies leveraging AI in that fashion that it's going to impact people's lives and you know businesses. This is exactly what we want to bring to the surface. So maybe it's a good time to move in, Eric, and do a formal introduction. What do you think? Yep, let's do it. So here we go. Eric Asberg, welcome to the call, bringing you on now. Hi, guys. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's nice to have you as well. So we wanted to start off quickly, since it is the holiday season. How do you guys celebrate the holidays this time of year over there in Norway? Yeah, it's getting closer to Christmas, and it's a traditional way in Norway. I think it's pretty similar to the U.S. way of celebrating Christmas. We gather the family, we eat, and we give each other presents. I think in Norway, we, the present part is after dinner Christmas Eve. So all the kids are just waiting to finish dinner so we can move to the present. But I think it, it's pretty similar to the U.S. Ali, what about you? Yeah, so for us, I'm not Christian, but we celebrate Christmas because it's a beautiful tradition. And of course, you know, my son who was, you know, born and raised in U.S. So this is part of their DNA. So, of course, he loves to get the presents and everything. So, yes, we do have a tree. And interesting enough, he is 15 year old right now. But the interesting part is he goes, he gets his own presents and he gift wrap it. And that's going to be his surprise himself. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and hopefully, you know, you know, his mom and dad, they will get something as well. But yeah, we do celebrate this time. It's going to be a little bit different like everything else. But we do have a Christmas tree and we love the, the tradition. Good to hear. Good to hear. So let's get started. So Eric, you know, can you help us understand what eSmart brings to the market today? And then maybe a little bit about how you guys have evolved over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been an involvement. Definitely, we've, we've sort of, it's been a journey, uh, like most startups. Uh, so I can start with how it all started. So we developed software for the energy industry. And the core team behind eSmart has been working with energy and IT for over 20 years. And the company is really based on two trends. One is within the energy industry, where there's a shift from large generation facilities to more distributed energy resources. EVs are coming in. There's a, a huge need for instant power. Peaks are starting to rise. So that's sort of the shift within the energy industry. The other the trend that eSmart is based on is, of course, technology. With the shift now towards cloud, towards use of AI, mobile, etc. So what we did with our uh, sort of background from energy and IT, we saw that, okay, more and more sensors in the power grid, more and more data coming in. And we worked with this traditional sort of energy setup with a relational database, the Windows front end, and quite a few of the systems that are out there for utilities today are still that way. But we saw that, okay, the amounts of data just kept on coming more and more, and we tried to tune databases and et cetera, and you ended up buying new hardware. And what we knew was that really this doesn't scale. So when the opportunity came with eSmart, we knew that we had to be cloud-based. 
because we needed to utilize this new technology to solve the challenges for this new world and the new uh, challenges that the industry was facing. So when we started, we created sort of a, uh, what we call the top system, where we created one data platform for utilities. We ingested data from the line of business systems that they have, including uh, sensors and external information like weather information or even information from the energy markets, etc. And then they had one place where they could go to utilize all the data that they had. Because one of the big challenges that they have is that the data that they have is, and they're starting to have a lot of data, but it's very silo-based. And so it's very cumbersome to, to try to extract the data. So we lift this up into our cloud, and then it's very much easier to see the different, how the data is affecting each other, and, and we can do our analytics on top of that. So that was sort of the start. But then we started looking into more and more maintenance and how could this be done. And I think it was our CEO who came up with this idea that, okay, guys, we need to use drones actually to uh, optimize the inspection of the infrastructure. And this start has become sort of the most important product that we have. It's now called GridVision. It's about optimizing the inspection process. So what we do is we use AI and deep learning to do image recognition images taken from infrastructure inspections because how this is done today is that if they even are taking pictures it's a very dangerous process it's a very slow process because they are flying helicopters they're taking images and then this is sent back to the utility and somebody has to watch all these images looking for faults and actually there are engineers uh, spending all day all year looking at pictures you know, zooming in, trying to see if there's something wrong and zooming out. And, and it takes a lot of time. So what we do is we use AI. So when the engineer now is looking at the images, he gets suggestions from our AI saying, look here, look here, look here, look here. And then it's much quicker for him to say, yes, this is true. Yes, yes, yes. And no, this is not an issue. And then move on to the next image. So that's sort of the core of grid vision, which is, is the, our core product today. But we started a bit differently with the data platform. And it evolved also into other industries like district heating. And we even have uh, a house application built on the same platform. But as most startups, we needed to focus more. And our core product now is, is grid vision. It's kind of interesting because uh, the fire that we mentioned, both Derek and I in Irvine, it actually was because of a faulty equipment from one of the utility companies that covers this area. And that combined with the, the sand or winds, you know, created a disaster. So it's kind of really interesting to see we have now technology that are using drones and AI to be able to predict and, you know, give a suggestion how to go and fix this before the disaster happens. So in terms of the, the leverage of the cloud, what are you guys using? How are you guys using it? You know, if I come to you as a customer, is this more like a, a SaaS offering or that's something that, you know, that I have to go and deploy to my own subscription? No, it's a true SaaS offering. And that's also been sort of a journey for us to come to that because there's been discussions and especially around maturity of the cloud in the industry because it's a sort of a, it's not the most forward leading industry at times. And also it's critical infrastructure and some of the data could be sensitive. So they're of course very aware of the risks. But what we're now delivering is a true SaaS. You only need your login and then log on and, and use the system. And uh, yeah, but we utilize the cloud. In early days, we were very, it was a lot of questions about the technology uh, beneath. 
about, yeah, where's the data stored? How this thing works? And we did all this pitch about Azure and, and how great that was also in terms of security. And that gave sort of comfort, but now we try to focus on the value of the application and not so much the technology behind. And it's easier for us to do that also because of the maturity in the industry as well. They sort of have comfort in that the cloud is secure. Okay, you're with Microsoft, great. So are we. And they have, there's another trust space there as well. But uh, answer to the question, but it, yeah, it's a SaaS. And when you think about the, the data sovereignty and things like that, or like, you know, the multi-tenancy aspect of this application, are there any areas that you guys kind of focus in? Uh, for example, one thing that comes to mind is that when you think about training the models, that then it can be used to find out if a, a part is faulty or not. Is this under assumption that, you know, all of the utilities are pretty much, you know, using the same or similar type of equipments that the, the model can predict fault or, you know, me as a customer, I still need to go and train the models based on my equipments and, you know, the kind of data for the equipment that I support. Yeah, and that's a great question because actually equipment differs a bit from different parts of the U.S. to Europe, to different parts of Europe. We have something we call the mother of all pipelines, mm -hmm. the MOP which sort of tries to accommodate for all types of equipment. But it's still that way that we train our data based on, or train our models based on all our customers' data. So actually, when you become a customer to us, you contribute to the increased precision of our AI. And everyone benefits from it. So we actually do a common training for all so that everyone gets the benefit from the training. And when it comes to data search, we're very particular in U.S. versus Europe because no U.S. utility allows us to move data to Europe and the other way around. So we operate now in two data centers, one in Europe and, and one in the U.S., and we'll probably expand also from that depending on where our customers are. And we do have a multi-tenancy for compute, but we have isolated storage to add sort of an additional layer of comfort and security when it comes to where your data actually resides. But for a cloud economy, we have to utilize multi-tenancy when it comes to compute because this is compute heavy. There's a lot of GPUs involved when we're doing our, our scoring and our training. That was a beautiful question, Ali, on data sovereignty. And I think that's something that whether you be an oligopoly or a municipality or a federal agency, or just a, you're in the capital markets, you're thinking about where that data resides and how it's being used, how it's being shared. Customers are always interested in that. Kind of focusing back on this idea, and before, I would love to understand eSmart's perspective on AI and applied AI and what all that means to you. But getting back to kind of the problem you guys are solving, inherently, how do you see that problem getting worse and what are some examples of some customers you're working with today that understand the future of solving that problem that you guys are helping them with? Mm. How this problem is getting worse is really the short answer is time goes by because the infrastructure is, in some cases, nearly 80 years old. And it's, in most cases, at least 40 years old. And it's out there in the wind and the weather, and it's actually being teared down. So that's how it gets worse. At the same time, our customers are, and the energy companies, the utilities are obliged to do their inspections to make sure that it's operating because they are their core business is, of course, to deliver electricity. So that's how our business sort of continues because they always need to continue to do their inspections. But then again, the weather and everything that 
this outside infrastructure is being uh, sort of exposed to, make sure that it, yeah, it, it does get worse and they are aware of it. And of course, the question is, where do we do the updates? Where do we do sort of how do we manage? Because it's very costly infrastructure as well. That's maybe an answer to the first question. From customers, we have customers that actually uh, sit some images after an event. They discover that, oh, we have images of this. We could have seen this coming. And that's interesting because once the accident happens, it's really, really expensive. So you do not want this, especially with the wildfires, of course. But we have several examples of our customers having images today that they have not had time to analyze because this is so time-consuming. So if they had would have had the time to actually look at those images and do the inspection, they would have seen that this was bound to happen. And that's sort of, for us, delivering software to solve that problem is a huge sort of almost a relief seeing that, wow, our software can really make a difference on this part. So we have several examples of, of customers that actually would have needed this software earlier. Have you or your team already engaged in any utility organization or customers of ours in the U.S., or you guys are beginning a journey of kind of penetrating the market for the U.S.? No, uh, actually, some of our largest revenue streams is from the U.S. Um, Interesting. So we have, yeah, we have several customers in the U.S. and running several POCs, and the interest in the U.S. is really exploding, actually. We are also lucky enough to have a U.S.-based VC fund on our owner side. And they are mm-hmm. actually backed by some of the largest utilities in the U.S. So that's also sort of a, a natural step for us to follow those uh, into the market as well. But we have customers in Norway, but the customers in Norway are pretty small compared to what we see in the U.S. We have customers in Europe. So our main focus now is Central Europe and the U.S. And I think this is where the beauty of cloud comes in about elasticity and, you know, how you can expand and making sure that, you know, the same logic that, you know, works with the smaller entities, let's say in Norway, when you come to the U.S. and you, you know, provide the service, you don't have to worry about the the scale and also like, you know, the the backend and everything that comes with it. How do you guys like, you know, do your own testing and making sure that everything is going to kind of scale as it should be? Yeah. So that's part of the development process. Mm-hmm. Uh, our head of uh, product, uh, Tore Lee, has defined a very strict process, which includes mm-hmm. the QA at the end. And we have our head of QA, Maria. Nothing gets past her or nothing gets released until she says so. So that's how we do then automate some of the testing and some of the testing is manual. And then we have our, of course, our, our testing and staging environments, which again, when we have a cloud opportunity like we have, it's much easier to facilitate and to set up and, and to configure now than what it was earlier. So, so that gives us also, of course, it's very easier now, very much easier now than what it was earlier. So one follow-up question, and then I know Derek has a couple other, other questions he wants to ask you. Uh, when you talk about the, the mother of all like models that you guys have, which includes you know, most of the, the, the equipment pictures and everything, how did you guys capture that data set? Was this something that you reached out to utility companies and they voluntarily just, you know, provide you that, or this is like, you know, public domain? And the follow-up question to that is, if I come to you as your new customer, uh, do I have the option to use my existing images that you were talking about that was captured by a chopper or, you know, drone 
from the past to help kind of retrain the model for myself? Yeah, good question. Because this is uh, almost a strategy question for us. Because some of our competitors, they do end-to-end. So they do the collection, inspection, and, and the software as well. And we see that uh, it can be, or at least seen from our perspective, it can be difficult to scale because you need to have people everywhere. You need to have someone flying your drones. Mm-hmm. So what we do instead, we have the partners that do the data collection for us so that we can use whoever partner that actually uh, could fly a helicopter or a drone and then provide the images. And this can be facilitated either uh, the utility self already have uh, a partner that does this, or we can bring in a partner that we know from before. And the setup is different from utility to utility, actually. Some mm-hmm. do everything in-house. Some do the collection in-house, but the inspection, uh, or outsource the collection, but do the inspection in-house. Some actually do the collection themselves and outsource the inspection. And we can deliver through partners an end-to-end solution. So we're very adaptable to the different scenarios. Partners are the ones who will bring the images to us. And it doesn't matter if it's from a drone or if it's from a helicopter or even from handheld devices. Mm -hmm. For us, the images is sort of what we need. And when you come in as a new customer, usually you have a data set or you're about to get one. Because we always want to sort of make sure that the data set is of good enough quality. And usually it is with modern cameras. Most of the data is okay. But if it's like a 10-year-old data set, then it might be not good enough, depending on what type of equipment that was used. But we then usually run a POC on your data to make sure that we provide value to you as a customer. And then we take it from there. I see. Derek? Matt Smith, he's the chief data officer of the West region at Microsoft. And he just, uh, he's on the call live and he made a comment. Great example of Brownfield IoT as a challenge of disconnected legacy asset management. So he's talking about the disparate data sets we were talking about earlier and how to connect into those. I'm very interested. So I've been in these different types of analyst inspector type of engines, if you want to call them rooms for some of these utilities. And they have a number of people. I'm talking about a hundred people looking at images in real time, video in real time. They have Excel open, they have documentation, they have a software they've built to tag photos and apply meta tagging to photos so that they can be extracted and you can start building an AI model. But I saw that and it's an amazing short-term effort to try to solve these problems. But instantly, I mean, you see humans, you know, working 10 or 12 hours, looking at screens, sitting down, like the opportunity for fatigue, the opportunity for training. You have people being displaced, new folks coming in, people being trained. It just looked like a giant nightmare from a long-term perspective. Can you talk about your vision or maybe eSmart's perspective on AI, collaborative AI, And this idea that the AI is not replacing the human, but it's augmenting them. Yeah, absolutely, Derek. And and what you just described is we've also seen that. And imagine how easy it would be when you sit there for like maybe 10 hours trying to still look at images. You've done that for the last 10 hours. Imagine how easy it is to miss something. So when we started with this, that's almost the, the exact use case that we saw. Hey, this takes a lot of time. Only way to scale is to adding more people. And we had this idea that AI could solve this. And I think some in the industry still have that idea that you can replace this work by AI. That's our initial thought as well. 
but working more and more with our customers and our partners, we realized that, well, we're, we are not actually able to replace the people here because some of the issues and some of the uh, fault and, and situations that you're pri- trying to find, they're so seldom that it takes a lot of time to train the models to find. So you have, because you, you don't have any training data. Also, so it will take a long time before you're actually able to replace the humans. But what we saw is that if we instead use the AI to improve the work for the inspectors, so the engineers sitting there, they can do this much faster if they didn't have to look in details into every image, but they can say the AI could suggest a list of things that you should look at on this image. And you just click yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, yes. And what we've also seen is that the AI can find more than a human is actually able to identify. We've had tests with one customer in Europe. They gave us this test set and told us, see what you can find. And we actually ended up finding 230% of their sort of their result because we find things that they had overlooked. So our AI is there to, like you said, Derek, to augment what the inspector does, what the engineer does. And what we like to say is we give her superpowers because she will be able to do her job so much faster using the AI than what she would have done elsewise. So, And it's also a feedback loop because when they are working with our AI, they say, yes, that's right, that's right. No, that's not a problem. This is right. We feed that back into the AI and correct the AI and then it improves. So that's what we call collaborative AI, where we work together with the engineers that do the inspection, and we improve the AI continuously by working with them. And that's our take on sort of what we call collaborative AI. So I'm kind of getting a little bit geeky right now. <laughs> uh, one question that I have is, so one aspect of it is just, you know, you get the pictures, images, you kind of send it as an input, the model will go and digest and, you know, come up with suggestion. Are you guys providing APIs that you can help the customer to connect this as a event-driven type of application architecture to their own existing line of business? Or there are some other components that the eSmart ecosystem provides the customer for, you know, notification for event handling, things like it's sort of semi-eventing because the event part comes more when we do this automatically. And that's when, when sort of the AI gets even better than what it is currently in the market today. But mm-hmm. we definitely have integrations with the systems at utilities because one thing is that we present the result and you can see it within our application, but they need to work with the assets to make sure that they can capture the what's wrong and what needs to be fixed in their internal asset management system. So in addition to images, we often also get asset information. And we also use AI to actually map the images to the correct asset. So when we send it back, it's already mapped to the asset that is in, in sort of trouble. And, mm-hmm. and they can follow up from their internal systems. So that's how we typically do it. Perfect. I heard from Derek and conversation that you had with Derek that your team is actually working with one of my peer MTCs in Houston to kind of showcase this solution. Can you tell us a little bit about what are you guys doing there? Yeah, this just started actually a couple of weeks ago. So we're in the planning phase, but the MTC in Houston is having a special energy focus. And mm-hmm. they what they want is have an installation showcasing our solution 
of course, it's interesting for Microsoft because it's, it's based on Microsoft technology. Mm-hmm. So what we're planning there is to have a physical pole and a drone. We're not sure yet whether it will fly on a line because this will be indoors <laughs> or if it will be mounted. But if we want to have the camera moving so that you can actually see in the application that the camera is moving. Mm-hmm. And then you can perform an inspection inside the MTC. And actually, that's what we do also in Seattle in the Industry Experience Center, where they have a huge installation with, uh, yeah, um, and the drone is flying. Um, yeah. But it's the same thing that we are planning now in Houston. So really looking forward to this because, of course, Houston is still, even though oil and gas is still the sort of capital of the energy in the world. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Shout out to Muge, who is our awesome director at the Houston MPC. And as we discussed prior to the show, I'm looking forward to replicate this in you know, my centers and you know, other centers that we have across the U.S. and worldwide. So that's a great news that you guys are already starting to plan rolling this out. Really looking forward to that, Ali. And for those that don't know, sometimes the, the acronyms, we get caught up in them, but MTC is the Microsoft Technology Center. So these is physical, beautiful physical spaces. And Ali, you have the pleasure and the honor of kind of directing two of them, one in Irvine and one in Denver as well. But as a tag on to Ali's comment, and why you're installing these installations, these types, these demo cages or, or showcases in these centers, I'm really interested in the cultural challenges. You're working with energy, you're working with utilities, and just because the nature of their business, political ties, municipality ties, large old organizations, they move very slow. It would make sense to have some of these installations so folks can actually see and then believe that this stuff works. But can you talk about some of the cultural challenges that you've seen introducing AI into these types of institutions and maybe what has helped you overcome those challenges? Yeah, and we were early trying to sell AI really as a product. And I think one of the differences between eSmart as a company and other companies, I think every software company today present themselves as an AI company. But in, in difference from others, we actually use it. The challenge was that, yeah, the utility industry had problems in believing that. So what often happened was that they had competitions. So they actually, and a research facility, large energy research facility in the U.S., launched a competition for all their members where they wanted to sort of take the temperature on, on the AI within this field. So they invited lots of companies to join this competition. Luckily for us, we won. That's typically how it's done. We've been through, I think, four or five different competitions because they, again, they're a bit sort of, I wouldn't say backwards leaning, but not so much forward leaning, want to make sure that everything works before they use anything. Not so much interested in testing things because it really needs to work. So the industry, they arrange for competitions, et cetera, to make sure. But that was, there's been a change for the last two years. Because all the fuss about AI, it's everywhere, right? And the maturity has become better and a a bit like sort of cloud adoption, AI adoption also increases. So it's easier, much easier for us now to go to the customer and talk about AI and they actually believe that it works. Yeah, only two years ago where we had to prove that it works. So I think we've had, we've sort of been in the forefront. So we sort of surfed this AI wave onwards into the industry and been lucky and good, I must admit, 
to really actually benefit from it. And we've tried to all the time sort of convince everyone that this actually works. Yeah, it's been a struggle, but these competitions have helped also. So what is in ahead in the future for eSmart? And I know Grid Vision is a current product that we're at when we're actually getting down into the product level. That's in the name of the product and the convention. But what's ahead of you guys? Like, What kind of problems are you thinking about? I know me and Ali have worked on some pretty difficult problems with infrastructure maintenance. You know, how do you maintenance HVAC systems in these large buildings? And you think about bridge infrastructure and you talk about roads and you think about, you know, big builders and engineering companies that are tasked with these problems and they just simply don't have the data scientist backgrounds or technology background to solve those types of problems. You know, what types of problems are you guys thinking about solving coming up in the future as we're ready to close? Yeah, it's three dimensions, really. One thing is to expand the functionality within the energy industry because there's still still parts of that that we don't cover today. So we want to improve that part and do maybe things a bit better than the existing solutions that are there, there today. That's sort of the one dimension to increase our, our functionality within the same space. The other is to increase to other verticals. So we're now looking into railway, which is somewhat the same, especially when, when there are electrical railways. And subsea, actually, because one of our other owners is Equinor, a large Norwegian energy company. And there's a lot of activity in the North Sea. That also needs inspecting. So we're now looking into different verticals as well to expand to. And it turns out the AI itself is very adaptable. So it's not so much effort for us to turn actually to another vertical to utilize the same models. And the third dimension is other geographies. So currently we're focusing on Europe and US, but we're now starting to experiment a bit. How about Asia? How about Australia, et cetera? But that's, again, it's a business focus as well as the other verticals. So we need to make sure that when we first do that, we need to have the muscles commercially also to do that so that we can also grow in those areas. I mean, this is digital transformation <laughs> in a nutshell, right? Definitely. And what we're trying to say, it sounds better in Norwegian because the images are already digital. But what we're doing is we're actually digitizing something digital because the process is so manual, but the data is already there. I know we're rounding the basis here with about you know four or five minutes left. So I'd love to circle back around. It sounds like Ali is... Ali, we got we to get an eSmart installation in our local technology center because this is, this is where all the action's at. Yes. But, you're also a Microsoft regional director. And when we talked first, I've never heard this term. Ali, you might know what this is. Can you talk about what that title is, what it means, what you guys have been up to in that regard for folks that are potentially interested in having the same type of engagement with Microsoft? That means he's a, he's a true geek. <laughs> so he doesn't just talk. He knows his stuff, but go ahead. Uh, yeah. Microsoft regional directors is a group of ambassadors and advisors that Microsoft award. So it's not something that you can apply to. It's something that you're awarded from Microsoft based on your previous work with Microsoft. So it's a group of very talented people. and I'm very honored and humbled to be part of that group. It's about 160 RDs in, in the world. It's a two-year period award time. I'm on my second period now. And this group of people is awarded because they do something special for the industry or for the communities and promote Microsoft and promote 
the technologies at the same time being critical to Microsoft so they get feedback. So Microsoft sees this as a group of sort of experts that they can rely on, test things on, get feedback from, and also use when it comes to the large conventions, etc. So a lot of us who are contributing in speeches, etc., telling about how we use technology. Many of the RDs are also MVPs. I'm not, so I'm more um, I'm more sort of industry focused than many of the others, but it's a fantastic group to be part of and the skill on that group of people that's amazing uh, so i uh, yeah i'm i'm honored to be part of that well congratulations to you for that that's an amazing achievement so we'd like to finalize the discussion with how can folks get a hold of you yeah drop me an email of course <laughs> <laughs> and they can find my <laughs> they can find my linkedin profile you find me on uh, yeah on maybe every social media actually but the easiest way would, yeah, drop me an email. You can find my email on the, the eSmart Systems webpage. I should be pretty easy to get hold of. Very good. Very good. And Ali, any closing statements for Eric? This has been a, an amazing discussion right before the holidays. Well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, looking forward to our partnership. We would love not only to showcase the solution, but also be able to work with your team. Again, we have a lot of talented folks that are passionate about AI and you know, applied AI, and that's going to be a good opportunity that you guys already started in uh, Houston, and hopefully we can expand it worldwide. And I'm looking forward to having hopefully a follow-up so we can kind of uh, drill a little bit into the technology and the components and, you know, the architecture. Definitely, that's something that you know, I would like to explore in the future with you and the team. And hopefully, we're going to have you back in 2021. That would be great. And really looking forward to working with you, Ali. Absolutely. And thank you for your time. Eric, you want to close? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning in in the month of December. We should be kicking off the series again at the start of the new year, and hopefully we'll have some amazing guests for you again. But if you haven't subscribed to our LinkedIn page, please do. Please follow us or share the episode and get involved by joining us live and asking questions and comments to our amazing guests. So with that, Eric, thanks so much. This was really fun. Ali, thank you. And audience, we'll see you guys later. Thank you, guys. Take care. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer at Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.